This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email money at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, and also, also co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Today we're going to be talk, uh, taking your personal finance questions and student loan questions. We'll have information this morning for those with debt, those who have family with debt, those who might marry someone with debt, and anyone with kids who may incur debt in the future. So give us a call this morning with those questions. The number is one eight seven. MPB Ring. It's 1 672 7464. Our guest today is Matt Reby. He's the general counsel for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling and the nation's largest and longest serving nonprofit financial counseling organization. And he'll be our source of information for your questions about student debt. So, good morning, Ryder. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Uh, what about financial news in the news? Uh, well, I was just looking yesterday and the stocks are at super duper all time highs. Um, so this is a good time to remind everyone that stocks often go up, but they can go down. And um, it sounds kind of trite, but uh, you know, people do. You know, when things are going up and things are really exciting, and people are talking about how high stocks are, some people get very interested all of a the sudden. They're like, "Should I be buying stocks?" Well, you know, you know, they think, "Do they always go up?" Um, Remember, it goes both ways. Uh, there is still the same amount of risk involved in the stock market. Um, so there's that, and also just another thing. Uh, the CFA Institute uh, released their level three results today. I'm not sure what the pass rates are, uh, but I started seeing on Twitter people getting their results. Some people seem to be very happy, and I guess the people that are getting bad results are um, not tweeting about it as much. Um, but that's the, the CFA Institute. I'm a CFA charter holder. It kind of represents the highest, the gold standard in, uh, for ethics and professionalism in the finance industry. Uh, really, they're working hard to make it a, a much better uh, industry. Uh, so congratulations to all of the level three passers out there. And so that's uh, uh, reviewing uh, how well these financial planners are doing their job? Yeah. So um, this, the CFA Institute, they, they give the CFA charter, which is, which is the 
certificate, the the standard. And, and in some places, it's kind of roughly equivalent to a master's in finance. Um, but what it is is three self-study exams. The exams take about six or eight hours. Um, the level one and level two uh, came out earlier this month, I believe. And level three is um, is some essays and and uh, item set sort of questions, but very high standard of, of how much do you know about the finance industry. And it's very comprehensive. Um, I use it, you know, as a financial advisor, you know, it, it's it's good for me to have that deep knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. But even even beyond that, there is a lot of stuff on that test that I do not use every day. But uh, still having those skills um, and that high level is is it's great. So if someone is looking for a financial advisor, could they go somewhere to find out who has attained this level of certification? Uh, yes, actually, the CFA Institute, they make it. They, they have it possible for you to search uh, charter holders. Uh, you can narrow it down by state or maybe city. You can maybe do it you know, within a certain uh, mileage range of you. Um, and that's cfainstitute.org. And also, there's just a lot of good public-facing information about the charter there. Um, keep in mind that charter holders can be a wide range of people in finance. Um, you know, personal investment advisors are only you know, one facet of it, but there's people all, at all levels of finance with that sort of certification. All right. Uh, Today, our main focus is your student loan questions, but Ryder is here always ready to help you with your general personal finance questions as well. We've got some open phone lines, so give us a call if you have a question. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send an email, money at mpbonline.org. We welcome now into the program our guest, Matt Reby. He's from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Matt, thanks for joining us on the air this morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work uh, that the MFCC does uh, with their member agencies. Foundation for Credit Counseling. We are a nationwide network of nonprofit financial counseling agencies that stand ready to help individual consumers with credit card debt, student loans, uh, qualifying for a mortgage, staying in your home, uh, bankruptcy help, small business owner advice, uh, and any manner of individual financial counseling topics uh, to help folks manage their personal finances. Uh, yeah, and again, we're obviously going to be uh, focusing on student loans this morning, but uh, if uh, someone is interested, uh, is there a website that they could go to, and at that website, could they try to find a credit counselor in their area? Yeah, absolutely. It's nfcc.org, nfcc.org. Uh, and there you can find, you can connect with a counselor in your area or one that's ready to speak with you over the phone uh, immediately. We have uh, 800 numbers and locators to connect you with, with the counselor. And also, if I remember correctly, uh, there are also maybe programs that are kind of just general information. It's not just people that might be having trouble with credit or student loans, but don't you also have some, some sort of kind of a general educational programs just to, for, for just the average Joe to better learn about finances? Oh, absolutely. There's a wealth of information on our website. Our communications team does a great job in, in keeping that content fresh and, and making sure that there's just a ton of resources. Uh, and in addition, our, our member agencies... Uh, often will hold financial education seminars in public libraries or in other public spaces uh, in communities all over the country. 
All right. So as we talk about student loans, I think uh, folks hear about it a lot uh, in the in the news. If you could give us a, an idea of across the country the, the size and scope of, of student loan activity. Yeah. So uh, as, as folks may know, it, it's really quite a significant uh, section of the economy now. There's about there's approaching one and a half trillion dollars in outstanding student loan debt. Uh, the vast majority of that, about 1.2 trillion, 1.3, is federal student loans, uh, and then private student loans make up a smaller amount. Uh, the remainder, that two to three hundred billion, um, and those are primarily from a handful of lenders, such as Discover or Wells Fargo, uh, or an increasingly large uh, refinance market. Uh, which are are ways that people with existing student loans who have graduated from school already can restructure their debt. And so how do these uh, loans generally affect the, the people who have them? Well, I mean, of course, the primary effects of the loans is that they let people go to school, right? Uh, and it's, it's sometimes easy to lose sight of that uh, because it is quite a complicated space. There is a large amount of debt outstanding. Um, and so we often focus on the negative effects, and I imagine we'll spend some time talking about those. Uh, but it is worthwhile to keep in mind that, that it, it's, it's very significant that uh, if you are someone who's looking to go to college, and maybe it's, it's not, you know, increasingly these days it's not uh, a traditional, you know, I'm 18 years old, I'm finishing high school, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go straight to college. But anybody who wants to, to access higher education and, and develop their, their education and skills, um, they don't have to think first and foremost about where am I going to get the money. Uh, and and that's, that's quite significant, and that's a, a benefit that the federal, the federal government provides through its loan program. Uh, so that's the primary effect. And then, you know, when you start thinking about repayment once you're graduating or, or no longer in school, uh, there's a whole set of other considerations you have to keep in mind. So uh, what about some tips to if someone who maybe is just uh, beginning their higher education career, uh, uh, tips to maybe stay ahead of the curve to where if they encounter student, student loans uh, when they graduate, they're not caught in this sort of cycle of being behind and, and constantly worrying about repayment? Sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, the first tip is probably that you don't have to borrow as much as they let you, right? Um <laughs> There is a, a, a federal limit, and, and I'm not sure what it is this right now. It, it, it increases every year, and it depends whether you're an undergraduate or uh, in, in a graduate program. Uh, but really, the first thing is being on a budget, managing your living expenses, recognize that you know you are a student, uh, and, and you should be studying first and foremost. Maybe hold off on, on you know putting too much beer money on that that uh, student loan because you're going to have to pay it back, and, and it's at quite substantial interest rates. One thing to, to keep in mind is that when you're in school, uh, you don't have to make payments on the loans. Those don't start until after you leave school, and there's a six-month grace period from when you leave before the first payment is due. So that's sort of a nice feature. It gives you some time to sort of get on your feet and, and formulate a plan. But uh, for most of those loans... Uh, interest is accruing from the moment you take out the loan, even if you are in school. Uh, there are some loans called, there, there's the, from the federal loans, they're either subsidized or unsubsidized, and that's the primary difference. 
for the subsidized loans, the interest does not accrue while you're in school. Uh, so that's typically what you want to max out on first. Uh, but in many cases, that's not going to be enough to cover your tuition uh, for for the semester, and you're going to have to take out a mix of subsidized and unsubsidized loans. So keep in mind, you know, you're in school, you should be focusing on your studies, uh, but you should also be living on a budget and, and reducing the, the total amount of, of loans that you take out. We're visiting today on Money Talks with Matt Reby from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, uh, talking about student loans. If you're listening today and you're dealing with student loans or know someone who is and you have a question, please give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. And there are different types of student loans. Not all are created equal. When we get back, we'll talk about some loans that are better than others. And writers here looking for your personal finance questions as well. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. If you ever missed part of the show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash money talks to listen again. And you can also download the MPB public media app so you can listen to all of the programs on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're always looking for personal finance questions. But this morning, we're also visiting with our guest, Matt Reby, General Counsel for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, about student loans. Matt's been a source of information for NBC News Tonight, the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, and Bankrate.com. So this is a unique opportunity uh, to get some information about student loans. And the phone lines are open, so if you have a question, give us a call right now. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And again, you can also email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. So Matt, if you would, maybe talk about about the, the different types of loan. I imagine uh, maybe some are more desirable than others. So what are the different types of student loans available? Sure. So as we were talking about a bit uh, before the break, the, the primary distinction is federal versus private loans. Uh, and as we were saying, you generally want to max out your federal loans before you start taking out private loans. And, and the simple reason there Absolutely. is that the private loans tend to carry a, a substantially higher interest rate. Uh, and there may be other requirements like uh, you have to get a co-signer uh, or they, they're just a little bit harder to get sometimes. Uh, so the, the federal loans are, are the, the primary source. Uh, and there you've got subsidized and unsubsidized loans. And, and the subsidized loans, as we were saying, are ones where you don't pay the interest uh, while you're in school 
and unsubsidized loans, the interest does accrue while you're in school. Now, in both cases, you don't have to actually start paying that until you enter repayment, uh, which is after your grace period ends when you leave school. But that, that is a difference you have to take into account. Uh, beyond that, there are other types of federal loans available. The biggest one is probably a Parent PLUS loan, uh, which is where uh, the, it's still a federal loan to pay for the student's education, but it's actually the, a, a parent of, of the student who takes out the loan and, and has to pay it back. Um, could you talk a little about, uh, especially within the federal loans, because again, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Federal loans generally have uh, the best kind of repayment terms, which is why they're very favorable. Uh, although I think they are also the source of most of the nightmare stories about, you know, you're bankrupt and you still have the loan. But um, federal loans are generally excellent. And could you talk a little more about how you get approved for one or the other in that, you know, why do some people end up needing to go all the way out to take that parent plus loan while some people um, get qualified for more of the, uh, say, the, the subsidized loan on the, on, the, on the easy end? Sure. Yeah, no, happy to talk about that. Um, really, the, the simple reason that uh, you don't take out all your loans in subsidized loans, for example, uh, is that there are loan limits. Uh, for each semester, for each enrollment period uh, that, that the Department of Education puts on these loan types. So generally, you want to max out your availability of subsidized loans first, uh, and then unsubsidized loans, and then get into the, the Parent PLUS loans or, or other types. You know, that's a conversation that's going to be you know, up to each individual. Uh, their family situation, uh, how much money they have, you know, out of pocket to pay for tuition, what scholarships and grants might be available before they turn to, to loans to, to make up the rest of that tuition and cost of living uh, expense. But, uh, yeah, it, it's really the, the limits that exist on each loan type that prevent you from just, you know, paying for all of your tuition with subsidized loans, for example. Got it. Makes sense. Well, I guess with most loans, the part of the reason that you get one is your ability to pay back. So when we're talking about student loans, how do they evaluate the, someone's ability when they're a college student that hasn't really started a career yet? Oh, that's the trick, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is the trick. Uh, and that's, that's the blessing and the curse of the federal student loan program. And, you know, as we were saying to start off the show, uh, you know, one of the important things about the loan program is that it does provide capital for people to go to school. Uh, and so the government actually, believe it or not, uh, you know, in furtherance of that policy goal, they don't conduct an evaluation of an individual student's ability to repay uh, once they graduate. And, and that, you know, part of the trade-off for that is sort of the higher interest rates that you see on student loans compared to some other forms of, of consumer credit. Um, because that risk is sort of spread across the entire pool. Instead, what the, what the government does instead of evaluating each individual student's ability to repay uh, is, is they have an accreditation regime for the schools and they have some performance metrics for the schools. Uh, you know, we can talk about how rigorous those, those metrics really are, uh, but that's how, what the intent is, is to make sure the pressure is on the school, not the students. 
Oh, yeah. And so I, I was just going to point out, this is kind of the, the way that the federal government subsidizes higher education broadly. You know, it doesn't, I mean, there, there, well, there are a lot of ways it does it, but this is one of the ways uh, where it kind of gives money to the marketplace and says, all right, you go, you go support, you go to the schools and pay for the schools that you deem uh, the best for you. So, uh, you know, when people think about, oh, you know, student loan, you know, nobody's paying these student loans back. This, like, why do we have these? Well, it's because we believe education is a good thing. Um, and so that's, that's the conversation we need to have. Um, and that's just the way to support um, higher education. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, and this morning we're visiting with Matt Reby, General Counsel for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. We're talking about student loans this morning, so if you have a student loan question or if you have a personal finance question that Ryder might help you with, give us a call because the phone lines are open. So the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email the show money at mpbonline.org. And Matt, I guess one thing that maybe prospective college students might want to talk about with their family or maybe older folks going back to college need to consider is that, you know, what is your major? So uh, how much uh, what you're majoring in, I guess, how much can you afford to invest in that, thinking about what what return you might get uh, as you start a career in that field? Absolutely. Uh, your, your major, uh, the, the, the degree program and, and the school that you're going to, uh, all of those can have big effects on what your expected earnings will be after you graduate, uh, which can really, you know, impact your analysis of, of how much you should take out in the first place and, 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 and how, how you're going to pay for that. You know, as, as Ryder was saying, uh, you know, in this country, we, we deeply value higher education, uh, and it's something that is subsidized to an extent, but... Uh, there will be, if you're taking out loans, uh, mm-hmm. there's going to be quite a bill to pay once you're done, and, and you want to account for that when you're making your decisions up front. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of resources out there for people who do want to see, you know, uh, what percent of graduates have jobs within a year or X number of years? Um, what sort of salaries are they making? What sort of, what sort of industries are they going into? Uh, there's a lot of resources out there, so... You know, and I, I know that was available to me when I was looking at colleges. And so, I, you know, look at that and, and consider that in the student loan conversation that you might be having with your with your student or yourself. Uh, and Matt, I think uh, one thing that you mentioned at the top of the show, I think, uh, worth uh, bears repeating, and that is you don't have to take all of the money they offer you. So, again, do mm-hmm. some research, find out how much you're really going to need uh, to get your degree and then and try to keep on the on the low side of uh, of needing to repay back uh, an amount of, of student loan. Absolutely. And, and you know. It's going to vary at whatever school you're at, but but you should always be on the lookout for grants and scholarship opportunities. I mean, at, at several of the schools I went to, you'd be surprised. Uh, you know, if you were willing to write an essay, you could get a scholarship for even you know five hundred or a thousand bucks, which you know it adds up. And, and that's real money. <laughs> yep. Uh, looks like we have a personal finance question on the line, so we'll pause our student loan discussion for just a bit as we welcome Richard in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Richard. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, is quite simple. I'm in the process of uh, purchasing a home and have the means to pay cash for it, but I don't know if that would be 
the best financial decisions? Should I pay cash or finance it? Uh, well, Richard, I'm just going to go ahead and give a general disclaimer. You know, without knowing everything about your financial situation, you know, I can't say what is going to be absolutely best. But here's the kind of framework I use to think about it. Generally saying, generally speaking. You know, if, if you're not in a rush to close on this, um, you know, finance it. Uh, interest rates are still very low. Uh, mortgage financing is absolutely some of the best debt you can get. And if you ever need to take out, if you ever need to have debt in your life, you may as well make it the best debt you could possibly have. Um, and the repayment terms are quite favorable. Uh, but one big thing, I, I, if you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say it. Uh, say say the house you're looking at costs $100,000. Um, if you have $100,000 in cash and you owe the bank $100,000, your net worth is zero. Um, if you take that $100,000 and pay off that debt, your net worth is still zero, but you don't have any money if you need to spend it. Um, so, you know, if you currently, you know, do have an income, you can you can afford to service and pay that debt. Um, what I would do, uh, my kind of, again, general recommendation, I, again, I don't know your exact situation, uh, but use the money that you have to get one the absolute best terms on the on the mortgage you can get um you know do a large down payment do a shorter term mortgage if it can get you a better rate but make sure you're putting down enough money typically 20 percent, so that you don't have to pay mortgage insurance um so you can use that cash to get the best deal on the mortgage but you don't have to spend all your money and wake up tomorrow with nothing in your bank account if that makes sense Makes sense, and I appreciate that. All right. One, sure one thing, other question. Oh, yeah, what's up? Related to your topic today. Okay. Um, a college loans, mm-hmm. what can those funds be used for? Can I pay my rent? Can I pay the insurance on my vehicle? Can I buy drinks for everybody at the bar? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what you can and are legally uh, allowed to do are two different things, but uh, this might be a good one for Matt. There are specific things, um, and I think the IRS calls them qualified higher education expenses. That's a, a term they use, and you can look up that term, and it'll list out exactly what is is allowed. Um, but absolutely tuition. Typically, uh, typically, you can pay uh, room and board, and you can use it for rent. Um, you know, off-campus rent, as long as it's as long as you're not paying uh, substantially more than what room and board would be on campus. Um, it's generally anything that is necessary uh, for school, so uh, books and equipment that you that you need for school are, are included in there. Uh, but those are it's they they do i mean there is an explicit list um that, that um either either the student uh the studentloan.org might have it or um the department of education would definitely have more information on that uh, or matt if he wants to chime in um might have some more information there too yeah, no, you really covered it. Um, the IRS does cover uh, what qualified education expenses are. Uh, they do not include in the IRS definition room and board, insurance, uh. medical expenses, transportation, or, or other personal living expenses. So 
Uh, yeah, don't don't uh, buy a round of the bar. Okay. Uh, thanks for your call, Richard. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue our v- discussion with Matt Reby. He's general counsel for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Student loans are main topic this morning, but we always look for personal finance questions. Have you ever heard of the Mississippi Loan Forgiveness Program? There are some jobs that if you hold, you can have loans forgiven. We'll get to those after this break. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're visiting today with a guest, Matt Reby, with the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, where he serves as the NFCC's subject matter expert on student loans. So that is our subject today, although we always look for your personal finance questions as well. If you'd like to join the conversation with a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show uh, money at mpbonline.org. We will uh, mention uh, loan forgiveness in just a minute, but we do want to get uh, a caller on the line. Um, Charles has called in today. Charles, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hello. I really enjoy your show, and this is a good topic. Thank you. I have a few comments and a few questions. Okay, let's um, go. I know that you're probably going to cover the loan forgiveness here in a minute, but I've been told that if you get a loan forgive, if you go back to work within three years, if you're on disability, then you owe that money again. And I know you'll probably cover that in a moment, but I'd like to see how many people, I was uh, did a loan for $2,600. And at one point with all the interest that it kept on accruing because it kept on getting changed hands to different financial institutions, mm. they took $17,000 just one year out of my taxes. They say I still owe money. Um, I've tried to find those old records, but they said after 10 years, they weren't required to keep them anymore. So uh, how, much, how much money do people end up paying back over the deficit of the trillion dollars or something that you were saying? You know, I, I know that people pay back way more than they borrow or mm-hmm. they, they get a guaranteed or taken out of their taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty extreme example. Did you say you started out with 2600 and ended up paying 17000 They took 17000 alone in one year. That that sounds like a very extreme case, and it sounds like if it was moving from lender to lender, possibly was that a private loan? It was. It was part of it was uh, guaranteed. I went to DeVry Institute, uh-huh. and part of it was uh, guaranteed, and part of it was Pell Grants. Hmm. Uh, so by the time it was all over, I think I paid thirty-two thousand. They're still trying to get me for about seventy-five hundred. But I know that every time they move it to another lender, they've charged another 25%. 
Yeah, that's shuffling it. That's a pretty wild situation, and um, you know, maybe not exactly Matt's area, but that sounds like an area where a credit counselor or uh, an attorney may be useful because that sounds like a pretty extreme example of. Uh, maybe a private loan. Maybe they're charging just exorbitant rates. Maybe they're charging some sort of fees in there. Um, at any rate, if it's an active loan, uh, them saying they don't need to keep the records for more than 10 years, that's that's not accurate because, again, it's still an active loan. Um, you need to remember what it was to start with. Um, but I would, in, in a situation... That's what I got from the IRS. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's the information I got from the IRS. As they said, it was... They didn't have to keep them. Everything had gone from paper yeah. to a computer, and they, oh. they, they could dig up, dig that up. And if they were happened to be able to dig it up, they were going to charge forty dollars a year if they had to go through the papers well, to find um, it. And this loan was in 1989. Uh, mm, yeah, uh, well, uh, so in, interest can accumulate, and if, you, if you're not, I mean, so just just for you know the general listening audience. Um, if you are not paying on your student loans, interest is still accruing, and interest can be can accrue on top of interest again, depending on the type of loan. That sounds like it might be a private loan because those again generally have less favorable repayment terms, and you're and then, uh, collect when they accrue. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when they accrue daily, uh, the interest goes daily. I suggested to people before get a personal loan to pay that loan off, and then and then that will shrink. So at least you won't be accruing your your interest daily. And you'll be building some credit at the same time if you do that with your with your private institution. In some cases, a loan uh, that would be a loan, essentially a loan refinance, may make sense. What I do want to caution people is, you know, we we're talking about the difference earlier between private and uh, and federal loans. You know, often the refinance will be a private loan refinance, and um, that's just again for the general listening audience, that's going to be a very careful consideration to make because again, the federal loans have very good repayment terms often, and refinancing out into the private sector. You may lose a lot of those repayment terms. Um, but for your situation, I, I would treat this just like any other uh, kind of extraordinary consumer debt uh Issue and I might uh, speak with a lawyer, maybe a bankruptcy lawyer. Not that you need to declare bankruptcy, but they might be able to advise you a little bit better on how to deal with what sounds like uh, quite a predatory lender. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on on Charles' situation? Yeah, you know, I'd echo. Uh, it sounds like a a pretty extreme situation, especially if you're in a situation where interest is compounding daily. Uh, that's really not very common at all. Um, and and so, you know, ordinarily, I'd, I'd recommend speaking with uh, a student loan counselor. Uh, it sounds as though this may be advanced enough that you may want to speak with an attorney. Uh, and there are a few that specialize in, in student loans. Um, Himself a student loan player who might be worth looking up, um, because that that does sound like a pretty advanced situation. All right, uh, Charles, we appreciate your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our guest today is Matt Reby with the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. He's their subject matter expert for student loans, and that's our primary topic today. But we also look for your personal finance questions at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. The phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show Money at MPBOnline.org. Next on the line.
line, we have Wes from Mobile. Good morning, Wes. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, my question is about credit freezes and whether you had any opinions and recommendations. I understand there's going to be some changes in September that make it more mm-hmm. uh, easier for people to do, but I still have remixed things about it. Any thoughts about whether that's a recommendation or not to, for identity theft protection at all? Um, I, in general, am not a huge fan of credit freezes. I think it's more important just to monitor your credit in some way. Um, often, if you have a credit card, credit card companies often um, provide some sort of monitoring uh, such that you can tell if somebody is accessing your credit uh, unauthorized. In general, with credit freezes, the issue I have with them is that you never know when you're going to need it. Uh, Again, you if, if for for folks who are older have probably act, you know refinanced their home for the last time, um, aren't going to be getting any more credit cards. Kind of have accessed credit for the last time they need. You know, aren't going to take out a car loan again. Uh, aren't going to start a new utility bill account. Aren't going to open many new financial accounts with new uh, financial institutions. That sort of person, you know, a credit freeze might might make sense. Um, um, but freezing and unfreezing, especially at all three bureaus, is going to be a it's it's a lot of trouble if you ever want to open a credit card, open a store credit card, buy a car with a car loan, um, open open a new account at a new financial institution. All of those things do require checking your credit. It's a very common thing. Um, that being said, if you are very nervous about you know your information being out there, and yes, I would assume if you are an American, your information is out there. Uh, it might make sense. Just know what you're getting into. I think the biggest problem I see with people freezing their credit is that they don't realize what they're getting into. They try to open a store credit card six months down the line, and it's just a huge, huge, huge hassle. Um, but uh, you do bring up a great point. Monitoring your credit, um, knowing what's going on there is very important um, and being a little proactive about that. All right, Wes, we appreciate your call. Uh, we're visiting today on Money Talks with Matt Reby from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, talking about student loans. And, uh, Matt, we brought up the, the topic of forgiveness. Uh, can people have their student loan forgiven? And, and if so, how does that process work? Yeah, so it's a good question. There are a few different types of forgiveness. Um, perhaps the most common is uh, when you sign up for an income-based repayment plan, uh, if you make a number of qualifying consecutive, <laughs> it's important to know, consecutive qualifying payments, you can eventually have your loans forgiven. Now, uh, it's, it's not such a simple determination because the way those income-based plans work is you make a lower payment that is a function of your income, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and there's, there's a complicated analysis that they go through, but it's generally about 15% of your uh income after basic cost of living. Um, And you can either pay that just as a steady amount, or you can go through what's called a graduated repayment plan where you pay less now and more in the future. Um, What I always caution people about with those plans is that they're constantly recalculating your payment based off of your income. So if you're someone who's just outside of college and you're just starting your career and you have a relatively low income, it can seem pretty attractive to make a low monthly payment. Uh, But the problem is that in many cases that payment 
is barely covering the interest if it is even covering the interest that's accruing. Mm-hmm. So people will find themselves having made several years of, of these income-based payments. Now, you know, they've gotten a few raises, maybe a few promotions. They're making more money, and they go and look at their student loan balance, and they haven't made much progress, if any. And in some cases, uh, if they haven't been covering that interest, the amount they owe is even higher than when they started. So that can be quite a frustrating experience, and it's worthwhile to make long-term plans. Now, that being said, uh, to go back to, to what I started off with, if you make a number of consecutive payments, you can have your balance forgiven. And also, I would point out there, uh, if you do have your balance forgiven, that is a taxable event. So Correct. that is something that you need to plan for. Um, one thing, it just because uh, the previous caller mentioned it, it, which sounded a little odd to me, uh, one is uh, public service loan forgiveness. That's a a great program, but I don't know if you have heard anything. There was a little controversy last year. It sounded like uh, the Department of Education wasn't even sure if they were going to actually start forgiving people's loans. I don't know what the situation on that is, what the update is, but also the previous caller mentioned um, the possibility of if you go on disability soon after, you might have to actually start paying back on it, which I have not heard of, but we're just going to throw that out there. Yeah. So oh, good. Good questions. Uh, the public service loan forgiveness—it's up in the air. <laughs> to yeah. your point, um, and, and there have been some threats. Um, you know, so, uh, some of the Republicans in Congress are concerned uh, that there may be a bit of sort of what they call moral hazard introduced to the program. That you know, people who are going—you know—the example that you hear a lot—the <laughs> the moral hazard of people becoming teachers or something like. Oh no! If, well, if you work for, you know, if you're a doctor working for a not-for-profit hospital, for example, yeah, you know, are you really? Do you really qualify? You know, are you within the intent, right? Or, or you know, are you somebody who's making a good salary but is gonna, you know, end up not paying? their total student loans back. So there's a bit of back and forth in that. And, and, and um, as, as you suggested, it's, it hasn't been clear who will qualify for, for forgiveness or not. So uh, just to, to recap what the intent of public service loan forgiveness is, if you work for the government or for a nonprofit uh, and you're in an income-based repayment plan, you can have your balance forgiven after 10 years of consecutive payments. Uh, for if you're not in public service loan forgiveness, it's 20 or 25 years generally. So um, that unfortunately is is a bit of a risk that each individual takes out if they're counting on public service loan forgiveness. It's not something that you get incremental credit for. Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing once yeah. you reach that 10-year period. And you have to be in that qualifying job mm-hmm. for that entire 10-year plan. So it, it's something you really have to plan out for. Absolutely. Uh, we need to take one final break this hour. When we come back, we'll be busy. We've got Sheila and Karen holding on the line. If you both could hang on, we'll get to your questions after this break. Also, we'll talk about loan consolidation and loan rehabilitation. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio and we're visiting today with Matt Reby from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Our main subject uh, this morning is student loans. Back with more after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've been talking about student loans with our guest today. He's Matt Reedy from the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. A couple of minutes left in the show and a couple of calls to get to, so we'll jump right back on the phone lines. We begin again. Sheila's called in from Brookhaven. Sheila, you're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Yes, uh, I was concerned about this uh, forgiveness part for the amount, the number of years that they tell you you have to mm-hmm. have along, which I have had it for 20, about 25 years I've been dealing with this loan. I paid it down one time to one for 1400 and it has occurred in uh, the interest, and um I wanted to know, they told me I had to be in a contingency plan, and that's only been 10 years. So I believe you might have answered that, and you said just so. Um, yeah, so one thing with the forgiveness programs, uh, one, the public service loan forgiveness program is is fairly new in that uh, the people who were first eligible for forgiveness have really only just started coming up on their 10 years uh, very recently, in the past few months, in the past year uh, at the most. Um, with the general, uh, you get forgiven after 20 or 25 years. Yeah. Th- some of those are, and, and that, that is simply incorporated into the repayment, in, into some repayment terms now. However, a lot of those are fairly new still. Um, I think some of the older ones were income-based repayment, but I don't know that they incorporated this, the same uh, forgiveness uh, policies that the new ones do, uh, which are typically payee and repayee most people are going to be eligible for. So uh, like Matt mentioned earlier, uh, an important thing is that, one, you actually make you are in a you are in that uh, repayment program, and you are in tr- on track for that forgiveness. And you have to be in that payment program and on track every single month. And you have to not miss payments, not have late payments. I mean, they they're very they're very strict about this. It's a very generous benefit, but they are in return very strict about that. So it well, could be I, that just I being. Ten years before I could even get a chance to get forgiveness. That's correct, and more importantly, at the beginning of that ten years, you have to make sure that you are in the correct repayment program and that you are actually eligible for it, and that you make sure you follow whatever rules that they um, they provide you, which includes recertifying your income every year. Every year you have to, you know, send in a copy of your tax return and say, this is my income. They'll recalculate what your payment is. They'll say this is your payment and you have to continue to make that payment. So it's yeah. it's it's not simply that you've had the loan for a long time. It's that you've yeah. been in a very specific program and that would be something you need to speak with your servicer about that make sure you've been in that program for that long. All right, Sheila, we appreciate your call. Let's get one final call in. Karen's in Picayune. Good morning, Karen. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I got student loans in the late 80s, early 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, approximately $24,000 in student loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably didn't start trying to pay on them until uh, mid-2000. I had them all. They were like guaranteed student loans and Perkins loans. I had them consolidated through the William D. Ford Foundation uh, with uh, – 
direct payment from uh, my checking account. So mm-hmm. I had four and a quarter interest, and mm-hmm. I, at some point I became injured and mm-hmm. I didn't realize right away, but I was disabled and eventually was qualified as disabled. And uh, for 10 years, I was not working. Mm-hmm. And of course, I quit paying on the loans. Uh, I finally, after three attempts and several years, I got uh, approved to have my student loans forgiven because I was disabled. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the years that followed, I worked really hard to get out of my disability and went to work for the government. Mm -hmm. You have to be, make less than a certain amount of money for three years after your student loans have been forgiven for them to be permanently forgiven. Ah, okay. Okay. So that's what he was referring to. My income went over the uh, mark. Uh So they've now reinstated my student loans with $10,000 additional income. And no, there's no indicate, there's no, uh, I see nowhere where I've given credit for the years that I did pay. It's like that money just disappeared. I just threw it down a well. Anyway, I'm 55 years old. I have no, I don't own any real estate. I don't have a retirement plan. And I, I'm lucky to be living in an apartment, and I live hand to mouth. But mm-hmm. I'm trying really hard to live conservatively and save and start a retirement plan. Well, now that the student loans have been reinstated, there's no chance of me ever having a retirement plan because all that money that I was putting in a retirement plan is now going to go to the student loans. I can uh, and do plan to qualify to try and qualify for the public student public public service, service loan forgiveness uh, loan deal, and I. Uh, but I'm angry, and I don't think it's fair. And and I, I went ten years without working, and mm-hmm. now I've got uh, you know just crumbs, and I have to give them to the government. And th- what I want to know is, first of all, is is this a case where I should should get an attorney? And if okay, so, Karen, we need to hold you there. We're really pressed for time. Let's give Matt Reby uh, just a quick uh, uh, a chance to respond. Matt, uh, just about thirty seconds. Thank uh, you for a, that call, though, Karen. A quick thumbnail uh, uh, answer for Karen. Yeah, Karen, I I, I certainly sympathize. It sounds like a, a, a quite a frustrating situation. The standard that uh, the government has in place is total and permanent disability, which is. Uh, I think why why you, you're now facing the re- reinstatement of the loan since you've gone back to work. Obviously, understand why why you did that. I suggest if if uh, you'd like to speak with an expert about your personal situation, go to www.studentloanhelp.org. That's where you can connect with one of our nonprofit counselors who are trained and certified to help you work through this exact type of situation. All right, that's going to wrap us up today. Matt Reby, thank you so much. A lot of great information. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded by generous financial support from you, our listeners. Our producer is Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Ryder Taff and Matt Reby, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms, and we'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.